Hi, everyone. You are now listening to BCC Sermons. Thanks for tuning in. church. Well, hey, we are continuing in our series going through Titus. Uh, we are looking to embrace our identity this year. And so this, uh, this week and next week, we are looking to embrace our identity by clarifying some scriptural practices within Paul's letter for our mission as disciple makers and as a community of believers. And last week, Derek taught through Titus 1, And we learned that we ought to prioritize God's agenda and build our lives and our homes around God's agenda. He said intentionally raising the standard starts with God's agenda being your true priority. Because if we want to listen, if we want people to listen to our message and impact every generation beyond our lifetime, it starts with prioritizing God's agenda beyond Sunday and building our homes and our lives around that priority. Now, in this week, we're going to continue in Titus 2, and we're going to talk about what we learned, or we're going to take what we learned last week, and we're going to build on that from our homes and families, and we're expanding it to our extended family within the christ Center community that we, that we are here at BCC. And we're going to see what we each have as individuals, the responsibilities we have towards one another in building that christ Center community. We want to fulfill those roles for the sake of, of our own spiritual well-being and for others. And so if you have your Bibles, I hope you do, turn with me to Titus chapter 2, and we're going to continue through. Now remember, this is a letter, and the chapters and verses weren't originally uh, put there. So Paul is continuing his thought from what we read uh, last week in chapter 1, where he just got done writing about people who were teaching false doctrine— and not acting in a manner that points people to God. So here we are starting chapter two, verse one. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now we're gonna pause there for a second. If we take it verse by verse, it's gonna take a very long time. No, just pause there for a second. Because this starts with the word but. Anytime you see, especially if it's a chapter break, look back and see what he's comparing something to He's contrasting something uh, from before. So don't, he says, don't be like those who teach false doctrine that doesn't align with the true gospel of Jesus. Instead, be different. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Teach sound doctrine. In other words, stay gospel-centered in everything you teach and build your actions around it. Staying true to sound doctrine means staying gospel-centered in everything you learn and do. The gospel of truth in and of itself is sound doctrine, and it's because it's agreeable to all scripture, which is pure and uncorrupt, and true doctrines of the gospel are sound doctrines. They're good and holy, and they make the believers good and holy. Sound doctrine makes us fit for and energetic in the service of God. Remember, scripture is our starting point, and that's where That's where we keep our minds true to sound doctrine. Stay gospel-centered in everything you learn and do. So Titus, he is assigned, he's the assigned leader of the new churches in Crete. 
and he is to be sure to teach sound doctrine. He's being told to help these first-generation Christians stay gospel-focused in everything and to build their actions around their faith in the true gospel of Christ. And Paul then provides insights into relationships, into the relationships between sound doctrine and godly behavior. If the church is truly gospel-centered, it will show through its actions. A gospel-centered congregation acts out their faith towards one another. Are we starting with Scripture? Are we centered around the gospel of Christ? And does the truth of God's word show itself through our actions, creating a Christ-centered community? As Pastor Derek pointed out last week, Paul likes lists And he continues with another list here, listing ways individuals in the church should behave in accordance to sound doctrine. Paul seems to be saying, let me go ahead and list out some specific actions I'd like to see from a gospel-centered church. So we're going to continue. Verse 2 through 10. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may, be rev- may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bondservants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. There is a lot to unpack in this short eight verses here. If we were to take each verse by verse, we could get ourselves in quite a few uh, discussions and it would take um, our entire time. And, but for the next 90 minutes, we're not gonna focus individually. We're going to uh, look at a broader concept. But I mean, when we look at this, this short passage here, we could get into a discussion on the use of alcohol. We could get into a discussion about gender roles. We could get into a discussion on slavery. And those topics are very important and they need discussed. But in this place and time, we're going to, those, those discussions are going to be saved for another day. Because what I want to do here is I want to focus on the broader picture. Today's focus is on who we are our identity as a community of believers. Because this entire year is about embracing our identity, and as we continue through Titus, we're looking for God's message to us of who we are. And to do that, we're taking the 30,000-foot view of this passage. And just a side note, when we're reading and interpreting Scripture, it's best not to simply take one verse and try to make an interpretation from one, one verse alone. We call that proof texting, or pulling out one verse and trying to make specific points from just one verse without looking at it uh, within its proper context. So please be careful with that as you're handling scripture. If we see a verse that raises question, we first have to look at the paragraph and and the book that it's uh, contained in and consider the original readers and also compare that to all of scripture. 
which is what Paul tells us. That's also his point here as he tells Titus to teach sound doctrine. He's reminding Titus to stay true to the gospel of Jesus, and that also is supported in the Old Testament scriptures that they had. All right, so big picture. What is the big picture here? Act according to sound doctrine. Watch your attitudes and actions and interact with each other in a way that helps each other within the family. Not only because this benefit fits you all, but the world is watching and you are Christ's witnesses. We are ambassadors for his gospel of love and grace. So that's what I want to focus on. I want to focus on what Paul is suggesting we do and specifically how we will do it together, multi-generationally, interacting together through sound doctrine, acting and living like God intended the church to live. Because all disciples must pay attention to their actions, being sure to act according to sound doctrine, living in such a way that literally portrays the gospel. And in this way, we form a Christ-centered community that builds each other up. Those who are further along in their journey should take note to be examples to the ones a few steps behind to bring them up in Christ. Paul is speaking to first-generation Christians living in a pagan culture here. This is why he urged Titus to find leaders to help keep the flocks focused on Christ and growing spiritually in accordance to sound doctrine and not allow the, the outside culture to seep in and create some hybrid Christianity that ends up spreading the false gospel. Boy, I'm glad we don't have to worry about that in America. We don't do that at all here at this church, so we can just skip that point. Um, it's pretty important how we act and live out our lives in this world. Within this point in Paul's letter, we see the importance of how we ought to keep each other on track. Relationships are our priority. That's one of our core values. And we see relational discipleship being encouraged by Paul, specifically cross-generational discipleship. Because the bigger picture here is the interaction of a gospel-centered family. How we are Christians and how we form a Christian community matters. In order to live this way where we know one another and we learn from one another and we accept and help direction and teaching from one another, we have to break down this larger gathering into groups. Yup, Pastor Evan, the discipleship pastor, is talking about groups again. You know why? Because that's what the text says. If you got a problem with it, it's not with me, it's with the Bible. That's between you and God. All right? So, Scripture, back me up. All right. There you go. Didn't even have to ask for that one. What we need in order to transform spiritually, we need each other. A Christ-centered community. We've talked about being a church of groups. Let me define that for you. A church of groups is a Christ-centered community where everyone is being personally invested in and personally investing in others. That's our BCC big idea. Okay, I'm going to read that again. A church of groups is a Christ-centered community where everyone is being personally invested in and personally investing in others. Our identity ought to be built around the priority of relationships. Relationships that help us transform each other spiritually. Transformation is our pursuit, another one of our core values. So we ought to live in such a way that best leads us towards transformation. 
And it seems to be evident throughout Scripture that relationships are a major part of our transformation. Paul is telling us in order to live as the church and stay true to sound doctrine, we need each other. We each have a role to play, and he seems to expect us to interact in order to fulfill our calling in the church. So let's do that. I just started learning more about brain science and the, and the connection to spiritual growth within Christ-centered community, and it's mind-blowing, and it's fascinating. Uh, I wish I could stand up here as an expert and tell you all about it, but I am certainly not. Uh, but I'm going to do my best to try to explain what I've learned this week. And for those of you like neuroscientists in the audience, you'd be like, yeah, you, you got like, like this much of this, buddy. Good try. But here's, let me share with you what I've learned because I think it's exciting. So if you're like me, you probably have been taught the basics of like left brain, right brain. And an, an oversimplification of this leads to an understanding that left brain dominant people uh, tend to be engineers and mathematicians, whereas right brain dominant people are musicians and English majors and, and, and the creatives. And I'm learning that, that this isn't just an oversimplification, but severely incomplete, if not inaccurate, understanding of how our brains work. So our bodies have sensors, so for sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, and those sensors enter our brain in the back uh, and enter the back right side uh, of our brain and travel forward on the right side from back to front. And then it processes the information on the right side. Uh, and this information is being processed at a subconscious speed, then sends it to the left side. And then the left side processes the information from uh, right, uh, front, front to back at a slightly slower speed, still pretty quick, but slow enough to where we can have conscious thought over that information. So the right brain is like the fast track where the information first comes in and we, we process things like individual identity and group identity, like who our people are. We process emotional attunement to others and assessment of surroundings, whether it's good, bad, or scary. We process relational attachments. Our, our right brain is where we form like those gut feelings that we can't necessarily explain because our right brain has processed the information so quickly before the left brain can logically think through it. Then it sends it to the left brain where it's the slow track and we, that's where we have conscious thought. That's where our speech forms, that's where we process strategies and problem solving and logic and we process stories and put together stories. And the right hemisphere process that creates our working identity integrates our reality six times per second. That's the, the pre-conscious thought. The brain brings together current experience and emotionally important personal memories to create an active sense of who we are in our relationships at that moment. And this happens faster than we can become conscious of, so we just assume that we just know who we are at all times, that pre-conscious thought. And the right brain functions begin with our important relational connections and attachments and are intended to help us be ourselves in relationships. Anybody dozed off yet? <laughs> I, I'm geeking out on this. I think it's super cool. So our right brain governs the whole range of relational life. Okay, there's a point in all of this, okay? Just laying a base. All right, so our right brain... Um, co governs the whole range of relational life, like who we are, our emotional reactions to our surroundings, our ability to calm ourselves, our identity, both as individuals and as a community. And that right side manages our strongest relational connections, both to people and to God. 
and our experiences of emotional connectedness to, God, to others are all processed in that right side first. And character is formed here. This is important. Don't miss this. Our character is formed by the processing power in our right brain, how it interprets relationships, surroundings, and emotions. Now remember last week when Derek said character creates credibility. Character formation is a primary responsibility of the church. It's governed by the right brain, not the left brain. If we want to grow and transform our character into the character of Jesus, we have to involve activities that stimulate and develop right brain. What does this mean? Anybody? No. Um, It means relationships are extremely important for spiritual growth. We've said this before. Spiritual growth happens best in the context of relationships, right brain activity. All my life, I have been taught that the key to growing as a Christian, to acting like Jesus, is spiritual disciplines. You pray, you read your Bible, you fast, you meditate on Scripture, those things. And those things are, are necessary and good and important. But I've been feeling like a terrible Christian because I can't figure out how these spiritual disciplines to take those and then have them make me have like instantaneous responses like love and grace and kindness and gentleness. It doesn't just magically happen. And I can't figure it out because I've been trying to logically and strategically become Christ-like. But I've only been using half of my brain, the left side. I'm a half-brained Christian. (laughs) Don't laugh, you are too. (laughs) I I don't know why I thought of this. Remember the old commercials with the egg and the frying pan? This is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Don't do drugs. I thought, this is your brain. It has two sides. Use them both. I, I just don't be a half-brained Christian. Spiritual disciplines, I mean, these things are so extremely important, and we need to pray, and we need to spend time in the Word, but it's not those left-brain activities that change our character. God designed our left brain to understand important aspects of our Christian beliefs. Without truth, we would be lost. As Paul says to Titus, speak sound doctrine. But our beliefs and doctrine formulated in the left brain are reliant on knowing the relational love and God and his church community, which is formulated in the right brain. It's been standard practice in the Western culture to, grow, uh, to try to grow spiritually solely using the left brain functions, intellect, Bible knowledge, logical, uh, logical actions. But that's only tapping into half of our brain's function, and God perfectly designed us to use our whole brains, right and left, working together. Ignoring the right brain relational development only creates Christians who believe in God's love but have difficulty experiencing it in daily life. I can certainly relate to that. Doctrine has difficulty showing up in our instantaneous reactions, and it's in those actions that we show each other and the world that we are Christ-like. But we can't do that unless we allow our brains to function in the way that God designed them. When the right brain and left brain work in harmony, character transformation becomes commonplace in our Christ-centered community. And God tends, uh, uh, t- intends us to use our whole brain in order to grow spiritually. God designed our brains to process our relationships 
and transform our character into the image of God. The right, brain, uh, the right side of our brain is where we process relationships in a sense of community. And there's, there's truth to that uh, old saying where you, know, you, you become who you hang out with, be careful who your friends are. That scientific evidence backing that up when we hang out with a Christ-centered community, our brain processes all of this in a relational manner that helps transform our character. When we say spiritual growth happens in the best, or best in the context of relationships, we are now learning that God literally designed our brains to support that concept. Relationships and the way we process community is literally the foundation to our spiritual growth. Who wants to join a small group now? That's right. Back me up, brain science. I'm done. No. Um, so last week's BCC big idea was character builds credibility. And what builds character? Our right brain processing our experiences of relationship with, within a Christ-centered community. The best way I know how to create and maintain a Christ-centered community is taking on the identity of a church of groups. A church of groups is where everyone is investing in someone and being invested in. If spiritual transformation is, in fact, our pursuit and we truly have a core value that we believe in, then let's live in such a way that continuously transforms us closer and closer to the image of Christ. So from Paul's words in Titus 2, look at the concept of multiple uh, generations within the church. Those who are further along in their faith journey have a responsibility to use uh, our seasoned experiences to set an example to help those coming behind us. And it's through relationships that this happens best. Let me give you some examples of what this actually looks like here at BCC. I work with Lori Sturzer. She is a phenomenal mom and wife. She has I have seen her personally come alongside younger moms uh, who she's not related to, and it's like she's their adopted mom. She cares for them. She sits by them through, through tough seasons in their life. She's raised three kids. They're still raising kids, and she's just there being a mom to these young moms, crying with them, hugging them, uh, praising them for raising their kids right. She's not taking them through a Bible study necessarily. She's not preaching at them. She's just loving them like a mom knows how to do. Dean and Patty Havel, they came alongside a younger couple who was struggling to adapt in a new season of their marriage and uh, in their family. They had a kid. That changes some things. And they were struggling with that. And so Dean and Patty Havel came alongside them and just loved on them. They had dinner a few times. They just talked to to each other. They spoke truth into their lives. Brad and Shelley Punk invested in another young family who was just getting started. And they're, they're a busy two-parent uh, two working family with busy kids. But they took time out of their schedule and they fit in another young family that needed them, that needed to hear some kind words and experience from, uh, from the Punk uh, household. Why did they do that? Because that's what Jesus wants the church to be like. 
Teenagers are investing in our children through Kid City. There's way too many to, to name, but let me tell you, I've gotten the chance to, to kind of substitute lead uh, in Kid City, and I've served along these teenagers, and let me tell you, they're killing it. They are pouring into children younger than them, helping them lay a foundation of who Christ is and what the Christ-centered community looks like. Brad and Wendy Buckland served at Aqua Ball without being asked. They just showed up, and Taryn was talking to me about this the other day. They showed up early, and they have grandkids, but they're not here. They have adult kids, they're not here. And they were, Taryn was like, oh, you want to go down the water slide? All right, I guess it's for everybody, you know. It's a big family event. Uh, they came and they stood by one of the slides for an hour and a half, helping the kids get lined up, making sure they were up, going up the slide, down the slide, having fun with them, just loving on them. They had no reason to do that other than the fact that Jesus said, hey, go love on my family. Michelle Steiner, she's one of our youth leaders, and she's invested in teen girls uh, over the years, and those who have graduated come back uh, and she makes a point to get together with some of the girls uh, when they are back from college or they'll go out for ice cream, coffee, and their conversations are filled with laughter and support and care. These girls know that when they come home, Michelle will be here and Michelle can love on them and care for them. Many of you continue to do this Pam Crome called me the other day, and she wants to hang out with younger women and help them find their identity in Christ through the creative talents and personalities. So I'm going to help her make those connections. Wow. And these are just the people that I personally know and I've personally seen. Many of you are doing this. That is Christ-centered community. And I list these people not to put them on pedestals, but I want to honor the fact that we have a core of this church that has grasped this vision of what Christ-centered community is like and what multiple generations should be acting like together. This is what Christ-centered community looks like. Praise God for these relationships. Praise God for those who see beyond themselves and are living generously because the love and grace of the gospel has led them to act as Christ would towards others. Let's keep doing these things. Keep the focus on sound doctrine by living out the gospel towards one another. Make the gospel come alive in this fallen world. That's our responsibility as a church. How do we do this? How do we keep building this community? Let me give you some steps because if you're an introvert, you're sitting there like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do this. Just leave me alone. Let me be my hermit. Well, I live with an introvert. I'm an actually an introvert. When I leave off the stage, I'm exhausted. I take a nap. <laughs> so I understand it's not natural to just walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm Evan. What's your name? Let's be friends. No, we don't do that. Derek might, but I don't. <laughs> or uh, I'm going to disciple you. Uh, no, that's, God, that's like weird meter, overload. <laughs> that's not how people do things. So Here's what I'm suggesting and how I think we can help each other create a stronger culture where relationships truly are our priority and we become a, ch become a church of groups where everyone is investing in someone and being invested in. So I love small groups. Shocker. Um, always have, always will. Even when I wasn't on staff at a church, my first thing that I do when I join a church, I look for joining a small group because that's 
how I grow. That's I need that. That is, that is a huge part of who I am. And I understand that that's not a natural first step for everybody. So here's, here's what I'm suggesting. If we want people to grow up and have all these uh, smaller relational connections through small groups and personal discipling relationships, then we need some clear and easy steps for this type of culture to exist and opportunities to arise where we can begin to build relationships where we can feel comfortable in having our people to call in times of need or to know how to love on someone when crisis happens or whatever needs are there can be met by people who already have relationships with. So step one, you're here at the large gathering on Sunday morning, done. You can check that off your list. Step two, get to know people. Nope, can't, too many people, too scary. Okay, many of you signed up to participate in summer hangouts. That is a chance to meet a handful of others in a low-key environment. You may or may not know them already and simply get together through the summer, three, four times uh, throughout the summer, share a meal, watch the kids play at the park. And some of you are doing some really cool things like escape rooms and stuff like that. I'm, like, I love hearing about like, what, what our summer hangout groups are doing. We took this concept of summer hangouts and we, we're gonna expand it into a broader definition of hangouts. So we've got a variety of hangouts. They're not necessarily groups. When I say groups, I'm thinking small groups uh, that are consistent in nature, most likely diving into uh, some Bible study together, uh, and they're going, there's gonna be a deeper relational purpose within groups. But these hangouts, they're a nice easier step. Uh, we've got a hangout uh, called Gearheads. Sean Stebbins came to me, and he loves all things uh, vehicles related, all things engines, and he wanted to know, hey, who else d loves stuff like that? Let's go to car shows together. They went to one last weekend, I think. Um, I love hiking, biking, and kayaking. We don't have any mountains to climb here, so the best thing is the river, so let's get on the river. So I started a hangout called uh, QC Hike, Bike, and Kayak. You can go to our website and see all of these listed. If you like doing those things, Check it out, and this Saturday, the 25th, we're gonna go on a bike ride down the river. Anybody's invited. QC play dates. Um, one of our young moms said, hey, it's summertime, and my kids have a lot of energy. Do yours? Let's, let's get together and let them burn energy together so we don't have to. Um, so let's check out all of the parks throughout the Quad City area. There's some really cool parks. And so she's got a Facebook group called QC Playdates. If you're a young uh, mom with young kids, check it out. Go meet some people. Uh, uh, gamers. This used to be just for men on a monthly basis, but we, we altered it to where if you love playing board games, uh, check this hangout out. And, and it can be board games from things like I like to play, like Taboo, or the super nerdy ones that Pastor Derek likes to play. And they can geek out on all these strategy games. And like there's, there's like this subculture of people who do this. Do you know of these games? I, I, anyway, um, uh, Young at Heart, they've been doing this for a long time, actually. They do a great job. Every uh, second Friday, they get together for uh, anyone uh, 55 plus that's still young at hearts. So they hang out. They have a meal. Um, there are opportunities that don't involve 
going to the website and saying, I'm gonna awkwardly show up at this person's house and jump into a small group of people I don't know yet. What if I don't like them? What if they don't like me? What if they have a dog that I don't like? There's lots of things that like keep people from like wanting to jump in you know, both feet into a small group. Okay, so let's take that back a little bit. Do I personally want everybody into, in a small group? Yes, not gonna lie. That's the end goal in my opinion because that's where we really get uh, that Christ-centered community and we have find our people and our character is beginning to uh, be transformed through studying the word together, through being vulnerable together. But that's a scary thing to just jump right to. So let's hang out together. Let's do things that we like to do on, in a low-key environment and just get to know each other. All right, so continue to build relationships with people and then con- consistently um, find, find that consistency within relationships, i.e. small groups. All right. It's through opportunities such as hangouts, such as groups that God places you in a relationship with someone and he says, I put you together on purpose. You're on that hiking trail with that person that you would have never walked up into the lobby and said, hey, let's hang out. You would have never done that, but God put you together in an activity, in a hangout on purpose. And he's gonna say, feed my sheep. Yes, that one. Pour into that person for a season. And you're like, um, I'm not a teacher or a mentor, God. Yeah, neither was Moses, but look what I did through that guy. But I, I don't know, God, I, I don't know how to lead a Bible study. I didn't ask you to lead a Bible study. I asked you to love on this person. I mentioned Sean Stebbins earlier. He's got the gearhead hangout. He came to me a while ago, and he's, he said God's been just like tapping on him for, for almost a year now feeling God really working on him to take a, uh, take a step to connect with other guys, but he wasn't sure about leading a Bible study. And I said, okay, so don't lead a Bible study. Create opportunities where other guys who have a shared interest can hang out and talk about cars. And in time, God can use those connections and experiences within Christ-centered community to build your character and further his kingdom. Don't forget what we learned about the right and left brain today. Don't be half-brained Christians and think all spiritual growth happens through obtaining biblical knowledge. Yes, of course that's important, but put yourselves in positions where your right brain is activated and you experience life with God and others in a relational way so he can grow your character to be more Christ-like. Serve the Cities is another opportunity coming up. We've been talking about that. You can sign up and hopefully you can serve with some people that you may not know. It's a great hangout opportunity. It's a two-for-one deal there. We still have four verses left uh, in, our, in our study for today. So let's look again at Titus 2, 11 through 15. All right, let's close this up. Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. 
Paul never misses an opportunity to present the gospel. In almost every letter he writes, he presents the gospel. Do you think the Titus didn't really know the gospel? Of course he did. So why would Paul spend time to remind Titus of the gospel? Because it's foundational. The gospel isn't just for evangelism and accepting Christ for the first time. The gospel is for us to hold on to through our discipleship journey. It's the gospel that provides us with that foundation and that motivation to act out the instructions that Paul gives Titus and the church. This is the power of the gospel, our motivation and source of our identity. The reason behind all the core values that we have here at BCC and why we seek to live differently, living selflessly for the sake of others and especially impacting next generation is because of the gospel. Stay true to the gospel as it is our everything. In everything you do, speak and live in sound doctrine. Activate your right brain by building a Christ-centered community for the sake of everyone's Christ-like character transformation. Let's continue to build towards a church of groups who cares so much about each other that everyone is relationally and personally investing in others and in being invested in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the ability to learn about your creation the ability to learn how you put us together and how we function. And to no surprise, we function in the best way because you created us. Help us to realize how to fully take advantage of transformation opportunities. Help us to build relationships uh, for the sake of bringing the gospel to life here on earth. We saw a glimpse of this through your son Christ here on earth. And grace is here, love is here, here and now. And we the church have a responsibility to live that. So Father, plant that gospel deeply inside of us. Make us realize the importance of relationships within the body. Help us to prioritize that so we can truly pursue spiritual transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning in online. Our in-person service times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday. To learn more about BCC, visit us at bettendorfcc.com. Have a great day.